Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth, signing on to the Sign Off, a Frameworth podcast for yet another week. It's the podcast where we talk about all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports and sports marketing. Uh, not joined in studio by my dad, Brian Aaronworth. This week, as we mentioned, he keeps finding ways to get away from me and get out of the studio. I am, though, joined by a very special guest who I will get to in a little bit. But prior to that, we once again want to say a big thank you to all of our supporters and listeners who have been taking to Spotify and iTunes to leave us a rating and review. That goes a long way in helping us uh, stay up in the charts and uh, reaching new audiences and building this community around us. Our guests this week will know a lot about that as well, which we'll get into in a little bit. This review comes from Hockey Collectors Podcast via Apple Podcasts, five stars. Brian and Mikey Aaronworth have awesome guests that offer helpful, insightful hints for collectors as well as some fantastic behind-the-scenes stories. They have a clear passion for helping others and building up the hockey community. Thank you very much. We consider that to be one of our uh, our, our prime modus operandi for, for these podcasts is making sure that we build this community shed a little bit of light on something that may not otherwise be seen too much, which is the behind the scenes world of hockey, something that happens off the rinks, off the arenas, whatever sport you're interested in. So hockey collectors podcast, reach out to us, sign off pod at framework.com. Uh, we got a nice gift for you, a signed eight by 10 photo. All we need is your address. You got 30 days from the drop of this episode, reach out to us and we'll get something nice out to you there. Uh, but before uh, we, we get any further into that, our guest today has one of those voices you'll recognize immediately, most likely because you've heard it countless times before, either announcing or recounting one of your favorite sports, a two-time Gemini Award nominee and author who's been in the realm of sports broadcasting for roughly 40 years, including time spent hosting Sportsline, anchoring at Sportsnet, and even play-by-play for the Toronto Argonauts and color for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Today, you can find him every Friday hosting his weekly podcast, Hebsy on Sports, alongside Toronto Mike. Ladies and gentlemen, a friend of yours and a great friend of Frameworth's, Mark Hebsher, but you can call him Hebsy. Thank you, Mikey. Wow. Great to have you in the studio. Uh, before we got started on the sign-off, uh, we knew that you were getting involved in the realm of, of podcasting. And I think, you know, typically what we want to do on this podcast is talk not necessarily what's happening on the rinks and on the playing fields day in, day out. There are tons of podcasts that do that, but we like to talk about the industries around the realm of sports. And I think you've got a great insight there. We had Rod Black as well on recently. Uh, and we did a, we did talk a lot about the ways in which sports broadcasting in general has changed as a profession and as something that's consumed by uh, people who are involved in this community. You know, social media, podcasting, all that sorts of things. We get our sports news in so many different areas. And you were involved at a time when it was fairly difficult to get sports news in any way other than just turning on your radio or turning on your TV. So the 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 general focus I'd love to have on this is is kind of that, is the changing landscape and to get your perspective on, on the ways in which uh, things have improved and potentially declined. Well, I think it's great, first of all. Yeah. I mean, I wish when I was growing up, all this was available to me. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. Had it been... I wouldn't have gotten into the sports broadcasting business because everyone else would have had the same facilities, the same opportunities as me to hit Google and right. research and whatever. Um, you know, I did it the old fashioned way. I right. wanted to read the books and, the, and the, you know, what everyone else was reading the comic books. I'm reading baseball stats. So I was, I was going to ask that because, you know, as someone who really had to carve out a niche, there were very few opportunities for someone to get involved in yeah. sports broadcasting. You went to, uh, uh, to, uh, Conestoga college for radio and TV broadcasting. Right. Uh, that wasn't specific to sports broadcasting necessarily. Right. But was the goal always to get involved in sports broadcasting? Yeah. Sports broadcasting at the time was so narrow 
Yeah. Like, you know, my mom was like, you know, if you get into journalism, Mm -hmm. you know, you could apply that to written journalism, to broadcast journalism, even though that term wasn't being used at the time. Um, And so it was like, you know, if you can do that. So I had applied to Carleton University for journalism, refused. My marks weren't good enough. (laughs) I had applied to Ryerson for radio and television, refused. Mark's not good enough. Okay. I had replied to Humber College for uh, radio, refused. Mark's not good enough. And so... You know, fortunately for me, Conestoga College. Now, are you saying Mark's is in, my, that guy Mark is not good enough or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, grades, my grades. Yeah, okay. in high school, I wasn't a good student. Sure. I, re- I was good. I was good in English. Yeah. I was good in history. I was good in geography. Sure. I was okay in uh, gym or phys ed or whatever. But the sciences and the math, I just, I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't apply myself to that. I just, I didn't have, whether it was short attention span or sure. whether it was whatever, uh, diagnosed or, or otherwise. I think just, I was just restless, but I really loved sports and I loved stats and I loved, I don't know, I think I loved quizzing people. Okay. I think originally I'd sort of like, all right, who was the last, you know, that kind of a thing. Because yeah. I would have looked it up and, and you know, when you discover a nugget, a gem, and it doesn't matter what it is, you discover a nugget. For example, someone comes in here and says, hey, I got this thing that's got 35 signatures of Hall of Famers right. on it. Right. And you've gone, whoa. Yes. Wow. That's a nugget. That's a gem. It's not yours, but you discovered this. For and sure. You helped find this. And now you've, there's a story around it. And what is the story behind it? Well, you know, that, that's something that's, it's a wonderful feeling when you do it. It's not the same feeling when you hit Google. Yeah. And you put in who is the last whatever, and it just gives you the answer immediately. There's no satisfaction out of that. There's, so, so you're, I, I, I get the sense that there's this romanticism of knowledge without kind of like about you know the, the days in which we couldn't check our phone to prove someone wrong mm-hmm. or something that's where you had your your pedigree come from now that kind of leads into that whole that whole question that I had about whether or not I won't call it a resentment but but a little bit of of is it a little too easy to get involved in in this realm and is that a good thing or a bad thing because as you mentioned you had to go to school for it you had to struggle to get accepted you were the one reading the books and studying for it and now essentially anyone I'm looking at myself, yeah. can turn on a microphone and, and start a podcast, right. whereas you've got 40 years of experience in sports broadcasting. Yeah. Is, there, I, is there any of that resentment or you're okay with the no, way No, I'm not bitter at all because, and here's why, it's an evolution which began with the written word, the spoken word on the sure. street corner. The guy said, you know, the king is dying. And someone <laughs> went, do you think somebody went, well, have you got another source? Right, 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 right. Like I heard from someone else that he's fine. Yes, yeah. And so from that point forward, you know, and let's just take, for example, newspapers, mm-hmm. where the people got their information for the newspapers. Right. If you happen to see it in person, the game in person or whatever, uh, you were an actual witness to it. But if not, you had to depend on the newspaper reporter. Right. And so you believed the newspaper reporter sure. because there was nothing else. And then I guess after a while, some people went, wait a minute now, you know, I'm a little skeptical. That guy wrote that and that person wrote something different. Right. And so in your own mind, as a consumer of media, as someone who wants to be knowledgeable, someone who wants to be informed, you you do what you've got to do. Maybe you only get your information from your parents. Right. That was it. Right. Whatever they teach at school, you're, this is what you're going to learn. Exactly. How to work on the farm, whatever the thing was, whatever mm-hmm. your father did in business, you're going to follow in business. And then after a while, just the evolution of mankind was, wait a minute, I, I got to ask questions. Yeah. The Jews asked a lot of questions. Sure. There are scholars. Right. Why does that happen? We want to know why so that we can, you know, so for future generations, they'll know. Right. And we can pass that knowledge along and the world will be a better place and stuff like that. So they thought a lot. Right. They asked questions. But a lot of people don't. And you're, you're <clears throat> someone who considers yourself someone to be the, the person who asks the questions. I'm curious. I want to know why. Now, and when I know why. Yeah. Right. I feel uh, now I can, now I can make an informed, an informed opinion. 
Well, it feels like, like, so let's, let's compare the two then. Knowing why I feel like properly allows you to have a conversation about something as opposed to someone who just knows that they just know the stat. They looked up the stat and they don't understand what made that stat. You understand mm. the reasoning behind the thing that developed mm. into that. And therefore, right. like you used to do in, in your radio show, you could talk to anyone who called in right. and have a conversation with them about an issue that they have or an objection that they have to something you've said. That's right. There's always you, a story behind a stat. The, right. thing, that, the thing that I don't don't like, but I understand, but I don't like it, is that it's so it's just way too easy to go, hey, you know what? The Leafs in their last 13 games have a, are a plus 27, which is their greatest plus over a 13-game span right. since 1927. Right. It, it's an irrelevant stat. Yeah. It, it's irrelevant. It's just that day, it, okay, we need some more stats. Guys, we need some more stats. It's yes. sort of like that. Yes. Whereas, you know, if you were to, if you research something, it was just a second, hang on. Like I did some research the other day okay. that I didn't see anywhere. I yeah. said, you know, I like Colorado to win the Stanley Cup. Right. And I'm doing some work with Bodog. And they said, you know, pick your Stanley Cup winner. And I'm like, you know, Colorado's four to one to win the Cup. Right. Colorado's the best team in hockey. Right. They can come from behind or whatever. They're healthy. They're the best team. And three years in a row, they've been knocked out in the second round. Sounds familiar. <laughs> in the second round. Second round, though, so not the first. So forget the yeah, 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 yeah. Second round. Yeah. And this is, like last year, they were the best team in the West. Right. So this is after, and the Leafs were never the best team in the East no. and got knocked out. Right. It wasn't like that. So we're talking about a team that has high expectations. And so I said, I like Colorado. You know, I think that they, I just like their lineup. So I did research before going and saying, here's why I'm betting Colorado. I went, okay, why am I betting Colorado? Right. Consist I want to know that in a seven game series, this team isn't going to lose right. three games in a row. Right. They're not, they're not capable of it. So I did some, some searching and I found out that Colorado hasn't lost two games in a row since the 6th of November. Now that's 41 games. And they lost Nathan McKinnon for 13 right. of those games. And that to me is consistency. Yes. You go 41 games without losing two in a row. That augurs well for the playoffs. Yes. But if you combine that with three straight years of second round losses to three different teams. Right. Vegas, San Jose, and Nashville, I think. Or Dallas. Anyway. So now, every year, oh, it doesn't matter. And they always win their first round um, matchup easily. Right. <clears throat> Four straight or five games. Right. So what is it about this year? <clears throat> what is it? Well, they're, they're now they're 27 and 28 and 29-year-olds. And they've gone through these wars three years in a row. Sure. Right? Veterans then. And the same coach, Bednar, Jared Bednar, who could walk into this room right now and we'd probably go, who, Gee, who is, like, who is, who is that guy, guy right? Yeah. Who's he the yeah. coach of? And so, you know, I, so I did the research. So before I went and did my thing for Bodog, I said, all right, here's why. And people, really? Colorado? Oh, I didn't know. they. Like, I look at the standings and I've seen highlights, but really they've gone 41 games without losing two in a row? Uh-huh. Wow. Well, so what is what is the separation there? Because, you know, we're talking about stats and how stats don't tell the, the full story. And yet, you know, not losing two games in a row since November is kind of a statistic in a way. So where do you draw the line? Are there right. certain stats that you think are overrated? And does that go so far as to say that, you know, this this Moneyball stats-driven right. style of hockey has, uh, has, has kind of gone a little bit too far? Or do you think there's room for a little bit of both? No, there's definitely room for both. Yeah. But for sure, you have to see... Someone will say to me, uh, oh, geez, Grant Fuhrer, look at that. Goals against average, 3.38. Right. I got to tell you something, buddy. I said, you have to understand one thing. Grant Fuhrer played in the in the time where there was offense, offense. And all Grant Fuhrer really had to do to win a game was make the big save yes. while his team was leading 7-6. Right, exactly. That was really that was it. his job. Right? Like, we don't care how many goals. We, we know we're going to leave you exposed right. to the other team's best shooters. 
We're going to. Right. But. Because we're going to be in the other zone. <laughs> right. And so that was the era of hockey. So you can't look at Grant Fuhr and say, oh, he'd never make it in today's game. What are you kidding me? Yeah. That was a superstar goalie. And right? he's he is one of those guys who everyone we have on this on this podcast who's been involved in that era of hockey. And we talk about toughness and we talk about someone who's underrated. Grant Fuhr's name comes up all the time as someone who, A, was way more tough than people ever gave him credit for. Mm. And B, way more effective in his position and never really gets the credit for it because all of the glamour was, was on the offense of, of, of that team in Edmonton there. Um, you mentioned this difference in eras, uh, whether or not Grant Fear, for example, could play today. And I want to use that to kind of talk about a difference in eras in, in the realm of sports broadcasting. Recently, you had Lisa Bowes on, on an episode of your podcast, yeah. and you talked about something that I found kind of fascinating, which was how back in the day, uh, you didn't have an earpiece. You sometimes wouldn't be going by your script. You you would try to, but if you lost your fa- your, yeah. your place and the teleprompter went down, you'd kind of be on your own. Oh, I you're mean, totally, it, yeah, totally. It feels fun. like this this era where you would then have to flounder and and find your bearings just based on your overall knowledge. Whereas today, there are 20 more checks and balances to ensure, including the earpiece, that you don't lose your track. Is there a comparison to make? Like, could a modern day broadcaster have cut it back in the day or could a... Uh, a, a, a broadcaster back in the day cut it today? Or do you think the skills are still fairly transferable? Yeah. I think they are. The yeah. broadcaster back in the day, such as me, could can, can and does handle it easily today. Yes. Like if, you know, if you said to me, listen, you're, you know, I need you to post video. Right. I need you to come up with some cute little, you know, vine type of videos, sure. maybe a little seven seconder or maybe yep. a minute or whatever it is. Right. Uh, I can do that too. Uh, I need you to write something that when people are scrolling through their, your feed or scrolling through, you know, social media, they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like something that grabs you. Yeah, sure. I'm pretty good at that. I yeah. can write taglines. You I'm understand a, what people want. I'm a good writer. But the thing is, it's all trial and error. And it depends who you're getting, yeah. trying to get through, right? So um, I'll give you an example. My sure. son, who you know as well. Dean. Yeah, he gets, Dean. I, if I looked at the number of hits that he gets or the number of likes that he gets right. or the number of retweets he gets or the, whatever it is, and compared with me, I would drive myself crazy. Right. It's a totally different audience. Sure. I know that my audience isn't sitting there, a lot of them, like me, you know, uh, into social media as much as I am, that type of thing. But I do know for a fact that every one of his followers, that's what they do. Yes. They're there. They're on their device. They're chirping in on social media. Right. They love the pictures. They're taking pictures and they're redoing them and editing them and, and, and reposting them. That's part of um, what they do. That's how they socialize. And especially with the pandemic going on, since there's no, there was no face-to-face contact right. possible anyway, you know, or very little of it. This was all we had to substitute. It even made it more intimate or right. more friendly or more whatever. And he even told me when he was, you know, he went down to the States. Here, you couldn't perform in front of anyone. I think we saw him. I think it was, a, uh, where was it? It was Velvet Underground. Okay. So it was, I think there might have been 60 people there. Yeah. Yeah. There was like 60 people. And they're doing a show. And I mean, it was good, but it, well, not if it was a full house. Right, right. Right, not right. if it was 120 people with a couple of beers in them. So it was just a different thing. But you still have to communicate. And this is going to make you better. Right. Doing, screwing up on the air live, on a live show, TV, radio, live, you're live. Yes. Um, you know, that's walking a tightrope. Do, do you have any stories like that? Tons, man. You know, what, what do you want to know? You know what? I, what I would I'll love- give you a good one. I'll okay, give you sure, one sure, good sure. one, okay? Sure. Uh, the CPGA Championship Golf was being held one year at the London Hunt and Country Club. Mm-hmm. I screwed that up on the air, live. And, and, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, God, I got to do something, like, immediately to, I can't ignore this. I said it. <laughs> and 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 then I and then I said something like, "Oh, I I meant uh, the the uh, the, the, 
the Clinton Buntry Club, the the, the <laughs> oh, no. Nuntry Club, the Blue, and I so I just came up with a whole bunch of the Fun and Bluntry Club, the Bluntry Club, the Country Club. So drawing attention so, to, to like, yes. and then it was like, what did he say before? Because he, he was uh, just talking gibberish. And, yeah, and so it was sort of apologetic and nod. And then I realized, you know, like, wow, you you came really close to. To dropping an f bombers or saying a horrible word and, and and that's fire that's a fireable offense is so and back especially in those days there's no podcasting there was no you never heard anyone on any airwave right you couldn't say that right you even just, if even if we're just a, a random mess up granted no, no, you couldn't the, the one difference is nowadays if you do that mess up it is almost impossible for the network to cover for you in yeah. any capacity if they wanted to because it's immediately on the internet the number of, of yeah. videos that you find playlists and playlists and playlists of videos of news reporters flubbing up something they said clearly unintentional and lives on forever. <laughs> Would you rather be messing up on air back then when it was just, you know, no, no, no time to have it edited or now when for in perpetuity, you would be living on in infamy with those clips on. No, the I'm internet. glad that the stuff, and, and I'm not saying I'm glad because I know that it's out there somewhere. Because I mean, I have hours and hours of stuff that I haven't looked at that people have sent me. Right. That I'm sure it's, right. there's evidence there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one day when I'm really bored, I guess I'll go through all of this and go, oh, you know, but I'll go, like I'll look at a tape that I did of the Hebsey Awards in 1987, and mm. I'll go, "Wow, um, you know, back in those days, you could say things that yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't air them, I wouldn't air it now, I wouldn't put it out on YouTube now, right? Because I don't want to have to explain to someone that in 1987, not only was this perfectly fine, this right. was funny. Yes, people laughed at this. Exactly. This was except there were sure there were eight people who were offended by it. Sure. Right? But eight people would be offended by just about anything. Exactly. And nowadays, there would be eight million people offended, not offended by it, but offended because they would think in their minds that someone else is offended. And so therefore, they're, they're standing up for they're them. They're standing up for someone who they believe would be offended by this. And you have to look at context. Yeah. And, you know, I had to look at what popular TV shows were on. What was popular culture? What were they saying? What, what words were being used? Right. You know? What do you mean? There was a hit song. Uh, there was a hit video of a guy and a woman had like a ball gag on and yeah. was, and leather. What? Yes. And yeah. was being objectified on a video in 1983. Right. So it's a total, it's just totally different. Do you so, lose, do you lose any sleep wondering whether any old clips will resurface? Yeah. Knowing that you didn't have any negative intentions, but knowing that there's a possibility that it comes nah, up. Nah, because I mean, again, I could look at it now and go, geez, you know, if I was to run that now and not explain it, people would not, maybe not understand. Right. Say, this is from 1987. This right. is from 1993. And, and there's a big difference. Like, you know, there's a big, big difference. And so as long as, con as, long as there's context, as long as there's context. And like I was saying before, look, you went from newspaper, when newspaper, when radio came along, Newspaper guys weren't that threatened. Mm -hmm. They weren't that threatened, right? But when TV came along, now all of a sudden it was, wait a minute, now we got radio and TV guys trying to hone in on us. We're trying to get clips. We're writers. Right. So the writers resented TV guys to the point where they, when a TV or a radio person was doing an interview, some of these old writers would, they would, um, they'd interrupt the interview to get their questions in because in their day, they, they didn't have to worry about interrupting someone. But this was like a live to tape interview. Oh. And so the old style guys would just interrupt. 
they would interrupt. So you would have to get the manager or whoever aside for a one-on-one. Sure. But if you tried to do that interview with the writers there, the writers would be like, what's this? It was an intrusion. Is is writing the one element of sports journalism that that you you haven't done or have you done much writing as well? I've done writing. I've written a book. But books, not, I've books never, aside, yeah. yeah. I've, 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 but I've not been a writer as a beat reporter. I've been a radio beat reporter. Right. But remember, you're putting a story together that includes writing and actualities. Right. The actuality being you just interviewed someone or it's a clip of someone someone that's, you know, adding to your story. Sure. Now a writer would do the same thing, but he would have to add the clip in quotes. Right. So in other words, if the writer's doing the story, he says, uh, you know, Mikey Aaronworth, who scored four goals for the Leafs last night, uh, Unlikely, was, but wasn't that it. impressed with yeah. his performance. <laughs> right. And then in quotes, I really thought I should have had six goals. Uh-huh. End quote, said Aaronworth. Right. And then re-quote. Uh, had I not hit the post on that shot in the second period, I probably would have had seven goals. Right, 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 End right. quote. Right. But for a radio guy, all he's got to do is stick the microphone and say, so what did you think of your performance? And then you say, well, I, you know, I, you know for, it was nice, but I should have had six. If I don't, right. hit, the, if I don't hit the post on that, so, no, 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 you know, blah. Now, I could edit that or I could just leave that quote the way it is right. if I feel it adds to the story. Right. It, it just feels like a whole different realm of of crafting a narrative. And I mean, you've, you've dealt with the writing and you've dealt with the broadcasting. And now from, from those relatively uh, straightforward elements compared to what we have nowadays with like the constant need, as you mentioned, you know, it's it, just recording the podcast isn't enough. Yeah. We've also right. got, uh, we've also got, uh, uh, we've got to post pictures about it. We've got to tweet out there. So things start to change. What, what has been your biggest difference to grapple with. I mean, now, now I'll tell you what the difference is. Sure. It's the live press conference that since we have sports channels, like, well, let's go to the press conference. What you're getting is you're getting an unfiltered uh, Q and a, a lot of times with the reporters, not even in the same room as the manager or the coach or the whatever. And you're now, it's now becoming more adversarial. Okay. The reason it's become adversarial is the person asking the question is doing it in front of all these other people and an audience of who knows how many yes. that are either tuning into it live via the TV station or can pick it up, no problem. Here's right. the here's the Sheldon Keefe press conference. Right. And so what you're doing is you're looking at something where back in the day, I hate to use this, you, I, I could take the coach aside mm-hmm. or the coach could talk to three or four people, not in a standing at a podium. Hello, is this microphone working? Yeah. There's nothing worse than trying to ask a question that's fairly intimate between you and the player, yeah. you and the coach. And yeah. you're trying to, you're working an angle, but you're trying to have a conversation, trying to do that. And instead it's, you get one question right. and you have to ask it in front of everybody and you better be good at asking your question. Right. Right. Because if you're leading the player or you're antagonizing the player or you're poking the bear or you're whatever, now you risk the story becoming about you, the reporter, right. and your relationship with the player, which happened a few times in the last couple of months. You don't want that. Do you think the players and coaches also, uh, they start to feel like they're taking it personally or being called out sure. in public well, because it's not Well, because intimate? if they say, oh, I never read the papers or whatever, and come on. No, it's you impossible. You know if someone's on your case. You know if you've been playing poorly and you know if someone's been on your case. You also know if a particular and any any reporter worth their salt will show up at these press conferences, you know, and the player will go, you're the one who wrote the thing about, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. You got to give it to me. I'm here. It's the cowards that'll write from their laptops. Right. And never, ever show up where the player will go, well, who is so-and-so? I've never yes. seen what point them out to me. Yeah. That yeah. Kind of doesn't happen. And less and less so now with COVID. Right. And right. With- with there, just, there's no need to see, to have a face-to-face. Mikey, a lot to, of these press conferences are done remotely anyway. Mikey, I used to sit next to Doug Gilmore or Todd Gill or Dave Ellett or whatever on the planes. Yeah. And, and it was never on the record. 
right? But you're developing a relationship right. with someone, a trust. Right. Whereby if you ask them something, you say, look, I know things are going tough. Now, Jack Campbell, let's say. Yeah. Now, that's, you know, things are going, they're tough or whatever, but let's talk. I mean, you know, it's a good story. It's an interesting story. You're not always going to get the players, not always going to want to talk to you. In, fa in fact, rarely now, because you, there's a distance between you and the player, you're perceived to be the enemy. Right. And the people that are working for the PR department of the team and the bloggers and those who are part of Maple Leafs Nation, those are your friends. Those are the ones who are, they love you. That's your fans. that's your team. But they're yeah. not objective. Right. They're fans. Right. They're fans. Now, I've got- They I'm, can't be objective. I've, you want the Leafs to win for the first- So you can't step back and go, all right, Jack Campbell had a couple of bad games, but you can't- But A, a journalist has to go, all right, did Glenn Hall ever have this problem? Before? Right. Did Johnny Bauer ever have this problem? Right. Did, did, did Frederick Anderson have this sure, problem last sure. year? Because he's leading the league this year. Right. And so, you know, now there's all these questions, but, but, but people want to know. So if the player isn't willing to talk or the player's like, listen, man, I know what you're trying to get at. Yeah. I mean, players, these guys aren't stupid. Yeah. They know what's going on in the past. They right. know when you're trying to screw. Phil Kessel knew. Of course. That I Steve mean, Simmons was yes. trying to like. So when he sees Steve Simmons in the wild. He, why, is he going to trust Steve Simmons? Is he going to give him a legit answer to a question that was a well thought out, well crafted question right. for a story? Or is he going, wait a minute, I know what he's trying to get me to do here and I'm not going to bite. We talk about this so often on the podcast, the dehumanization of athletes in the modern era, how most of the sports stories that we tell or that a lot of people tell when they're doing it the wrong way are about what the player is like on a personal level or what they do outside of the arena. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. I think we do need to understand that these players are human beings and therefore are going to take a lot of these things personally. We had two... two uh, it depends what you say also. No, for take sure. Take something personally. Look, yeah. I mean, if you say something about someone's uh, character. Right. Like, I don't like the expression, oh, it was a great effort. I mean, I got to believe that everyone's putting a great effort right. out there. A guy misses a 20-foot putt and leaves it on the end. That was a great effort. Yes. I'm sorry, that's just the wrong choice. They're professional words. athletes. They're professional yeah, athletes. Yeah. You want to think that they're going to have the great effort. So, you know, to criticize someone for letting in a bad goal or missing an open net or that type of thing, that's natural from a fan. But I'm... The player must know in their own mind. Well, is Jack to. Campbell too hard on himself, and are, is he not as hard as on himself as on this player there? I mean, now we're now we're amateur psychologists. Now right. we're trying to read into Jack Campbell and how he's going to bounce back after two bad games. Yeah. Come on. How do you maintain your relationships? Because we had two broadcasters or, or people involved in the realm of broadcasting and journalism in Mike Zeisberger and Rod Black recently yeah. with two very different mentalities on their relationship to the athletes. Mike essentially saying that he made it a point to kind of stay separate and objective from the athletes. So he spent the majority of his career, uh, he's a beat reporter for the for the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, not really in getting involved in the players all that much, whereas Rod Black is someone who's more involved in announcing and, and, and color and play-by-play. And -play. He wants to uh, he wants to get to know them, to, to be able to provide some context and some color to these relationships. Right. What is your relationship with the the athletes? And do you have any that you're closer to or not? Uh, how does that develop with them? Mm, no. Can't let it happen. Mm -hmm. I let it happen once. Okay. Um, As in getting too close? Yeah. 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 I had it once with Eddie, Ol Eddie Olchuk. Okay. Right. So Eddie and Eddie's kids and my kids are the same age. His wife, Diana, and my uh, ex-wife, uh, Jackie, about the same age. Grew up, you know, not grew up, but hung around, lived in the same kind of area and would run into Eddie more often than not. And a lot of times with, you know, guys like, uh, 
you know, your dad and your uncle's company right. here and all that. You know, certain events where, oh, there's so-and-so there. Sure. You know, there's Brian Aaron. there. Used there. To there's Alan Aaron. Oh, there's guys. Frank. Oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so, your friends. So-and-so. So, you know, golf tournaments and like easygoing type of right. things like that. You'd meet someone. And like we naturally hit it off. And Eddie's a great storyteller. Right. And I could have told you years and years ago that he would be a fantastic sure. answer. He's just an engaging guy. Yeah. He's an, as honest as the day is long. Right. And so what happened was I, he was very, anyway, he like, it was like, you know, here's my phone number. Here's my, he called me one day. He's out of the blue one day. And there was a crisis that was going on. And I was in the middle of my own kind of crisis. Like, anyway, we ended up meeting and, and, you know, we had a coffee, we chatted about, you know, life and stuff like that. And then I remember he invited us over to his house for dinner mm-hmm. and we went over there for dinner. We had a nice dinner. And then he invited us a few weeks later to a backyard barbecue he was having. Right. And, Coming to that barbecue was Gary Lehman and his girlfriend at the time, uh, Mark Osborne and his wife, Madeline. Um, There's a few other people I can't remember, but his teammates on the Leafs. And everyone's we're having a couple of drinks and telling some stories. And and then everyone started telling stories. And, and Lehman kind of, he goes to tell this great story. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, wait, I can't tell the story with him here. Oh. And right then and there, I realized that I, even, I'm not in the locker room with these guys. Right. I'm not. I'm, I'm the media. And even right. though... And even though I'm working for global television and we're not the team, well, we were the team broadcaster. Sure. Um, I was, I consider myself to be a journalist. This right. wasn't, and nothing was on the, I said to him, Gary, there's nothing on the record here. I would never. Right. You know, I, you know it's just, you know, this, I'm, you know, I'm not yeah. a journalist in this case here. This is all off the record. So, so gets yeah, yeah. And he, he, the look he kind of gave me was, mm, you know, and I just sort of at that moment, I went, you know, maybe it's not such a good idea. Uh-huh. I mean, being friends with that old Chuck, Right. It would have been one thing, right? You know, but but now the entire team is like, oh, is he your buddy? Is you know, is he your media lackey? Oh, these things all came into my head. Eddie never mentioned it to me, but into yeah. my head. And I remember discussing. Did you take it, it personally a little bit? I did take it personally. Yeah. I thought, you know, it, it might not be a bad idea to maybe maybe take a step back right. from this thing and and and, main, and maintain your distance. Have you been able to? But do- I know a lot of people. A lot of people. And right. I can't blame them for it because it's very enticing. Yeah, of course. They're very close friends. Of course. With. Very close with athletes, but it depends on your position. Are you the host of a show where, hey, joining me now is my buddy, buddy, yes. so-and-so. Right. Uh, and now he's retired now, but right. he's your buddies. You've hung out together. You've broken bread together. Right. The families know each other. You've done more intimate interviews with right. this guy versus you're a journalist and your job is getting quotes and getting on deadline and getting like Mike Zeisberg. I was going to say, are you Cavi or Mike that's, Zeisberg? But that's different. So yeah, is, exactly. are they both journalists? Right. It's Right. And is that journalism or is one more of a journalist? Performer. The form, the And then one more of a host, um, MC, yeah, interviewer, like a late night. you know, and a journalist asks, you know, I mean, a journalist is asking tougher questions, sure. different types of questions, getting to, uh, is there an end game here versus right. let's just have a chat. Right. It's not a journalist. Let's have a chat. So in, in your, in your current role, you know, doing your podcast, you got yeah. Hebsy on sports, as we mentioned, uh, are you finding that you know, you mentioned it was enticing. You, you've been involved in these communities. Sure. Have you been able to develop some closer relationships or is, is there always going to be that that wariness that that people have about saying too much to someone who then may relay that information on a broadcast? Nah, I don't think that's a problem with me necessarily. I don't think they're worried too much about it. Um, but I can see it, uh, you know, playing stuff close to the vest. Yeah. But nowadays, especially if you go on Twitter I and mean, people are it's all there. Know, offering their opinions anyway. 100%. So I can jump on that and say, oh, so-and-so said this. Um but yeah, I mean, to me, it was like, if, you, if you're always telling the truth and you're always searching for the truth as a journalist, you never have to worry about the crap that you had done. Like, did I lie about that? Or did I fudge that story? Or sure. was that a true story? Sure. And, and at the same time, you're looking at someone else going, like, where did this person get their information yeah. from? 
And to me, the worst is the basic tenet of journalism. And I explain this to my son as well. Even though he's not a journalist, the basic tenet of is if someone tells you something, mm -hmm. unless that person is an impeccably reliable source, like the mother of a player right. who tells you that this player is going to sign with <clears throat> the Colorado right. Avalanche, right? And even then, it's not always And even then, it's yeah. kind of like, you know, yeah. you know, she's great and all that, but has he signed or is he about to sign? Right. So you have to have, you have to either get it from the horse's mouth, mm -hmm. from the individual themselves who right. told you this is the way it's going to be, or from an impeccable source. And if you can't, you have to have two, at least two, independent sources. Sure. So, for example, there's a set of twins. They both tell you that they witnessed this. Let's call them the Sedines. They're twins, though. Yeah. They're yeah. twins. And so, it's possible that one could say something and the other automatically agrees. Right. That's not enough. Right. If they were the only two witnesses, I got to find someone else independent Unrelated. Of, these, of these twins to corroborate the story. Have you ever had a... a bombshell of a story something Many you couldn't times. wait and you couldn't corroborate it so you just couldn't say Many it. times. did those typically end up being true or false false okay and here's the problem that i have and i can't mention names here it's not fair it's happened to people but this is a basic tenet of journalism you don't go with something i don't care if a team official says blah 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 and they're a great source and all of them never wrong man unless they were the president of the team or you know in incredibly high esteem you got to get it from another source right. and sometimes you have to ask that first source right that's a great story who else can confirm this for me and if that source won't give you someone well guess what you're a journalist yeah you better find someone else and so what happened last year was george springer had signed with the uh with the jays right and then a week or so later uh, michael brantley um from apparently the greatest sources in the world was going to sign with the Jays and everybody jumped on that. And, and the story was wrong. And the journalist who originally had the story said, I got it from so-and-so from the Jays and they're a great source. And I said, guess what? Never enough. I guess they're not a great source. There you go. And you learn your lesson the hard way. And there was never an apology on social media. Uh, even though um, the American media picked it up, big, big names, mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands, millions of followers. I just thought, you know, they let that slip. So I guess nowadays it's not that big a deal. It feels like the news cycle is just so much faster than, uh, and you know what, the news cycle seems seems geared towards other things. I want to draw attention to kind of wrap a bow around this this line of, of the questioning. And then I want to talk about more of your, your personal relationship with my dad, for example, and some of the stories that you guys have gotten into in the memorabilia world as well. But in your description for Hebsey on Sports on iTunes, I found it interesting. You promise controversial comments. Yeah. And is that something that you seek out? Do you try to find, obviously they're all true, but is there an affinity you have towards the controversial comments? And if so, why? What is it about, about making sure you're saying something uh, that is going to maybe cause people some pause or, or, or I guess start us off with, what is your definition of controversy in that sense and why you're drawn to it? Well, the controversy to me would be if I didn't feel the mainstream media was handling or covering um, a, a particular player or an event or an issue the way they should. Right. And so I would add, I would say, you know, this hasn't been mentioned or I haven't seen this mentioned. So I need to, you know, put this out there. Yeah. Um, and so that's not necessarily controversial. The controversial part would be this. If I felt that uh, major news organization, Rogers Sportsnet, uh, TSN, Bell mm -hmm. Media, yep. for example, the two big ones that are doing sports. Right. If I felt that what they were spitting out or what they were presenting uh, wasn't uh, fully factual or wasn't well balanced or didn't exist at all. Right. I would say something like, I'm kind of surprised that uh, 
that uh, TSN didn't say anything about the Blue Jays. Sure. Uh, mind you, the Blue Jays are owned by Rogers. And uh, and you see, so now you get into stuff that I would have never thought of years ago because it, I wasn't concerned about a, a major conglomerate, um, media owning, conglomerate yeah. owning a sports team. Right. And this is a big problem. And the owners nowadays of sports teams are not sports fans like they used to be. Sure. Even though Harold Ballard, fan, was, uh, fans Harold Ballard was a hockey fan. Yes. He loved the Leafs. Yeah. He loved the Leafs. Uh, and so every owner of the Argos loved the Argos, you right. see? But man, it's a business now. Yeah. And so this new wave of owners, and baseball's the best example, they don't care about baseball. Right. They don't. They care a bit. They want winning. Sure. But they're not baseball. But they're they want winning because winning gets money, right? They, they, they don't see a beautiful spring day in Florida. as they don't, It does nothing to them. There's, yeah. They're not romanticizing the sport. It's about the bottom line. And especially now in a pandemic and the money that they've lost... Right, they're like, uh, you know, we can't let this happen. But these are not baseball lovers. These are these are people where someone's, daddy, daddy, please don't let them go on strike. All right, sweetheart, don't you worry about. Right. These are CEOs of companies or whatever that they're just looking, going, we we can't let this happen. These players are making too much money, or we're not making enough in profits for right. our shareholders, and that's a sad, sad reality. Because fans are just as wait, fans today are way more rabid than fans were. Oh sure, fans back in the day, how much information could they get? It's one newspaper, one news uh, one magazine broadcast. once a week. The yeah. hockey news whatever how yeah. much information could they take yeah. in what was possible for them even the greatest fans in the world who would go to every game right you can only get in so much inf nowadays it's information overload it's so much of it that you have to pick and choose what's relevant and what's not what's interesting to you and what's not yeah and the challenge for the content creators which is what you and i are that's the, who we are now yeah we're content creators right dean is a content creator my right. son now okay and that's what it is we're giving you on whatever platform it is something mm -hmm. we're hoping that you're going to enjoy it you're going to subscribe. You're going to tell your friends. Yes. You're going to uh, stay tuned for the next one. And you're going to enjoy the content that we're providing for you. Does that change the way or, or the types of stories that you cover? I mean, before you were covering for a news station that would give you, you know, I'm assuming some of what you would have to talk about, some of the narrative potentially. Now you know that what you put out there has to be interesting to a certain degree. And we we talked about this before we started recording. Recently on your podcast, you had Brittle Star on, yeah. who is a, a very popular Vine star who is now very much exceeded that that uh, that 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 sort of pigeonhole. Um, someone who wasn't necessarily involved in sports, but has a story to tell, and therefore you're going to branch out a little bit from sports. So has the overall idea of the types of stories you tell, do you have to sort of curate that based on what's going to be a big draw? No, it's funny. Here's the funny thing is that when I started doing the podcast by myself, and I did 260 episodes of a podcast before this with Liz West, and it was a more of a, a variety show type sure. of thing, you know, musicians or comedians or whatever, interest, but it always had to do with the long form, let's get to know you type of, yeah. you know, relax, we'll have a beer together. Right. And in many cases, the guests did have a beer or sure. two and, or whatever. Um, uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of what you wanted. That's what's missing nowadays. People think that, oh, no one's got the attention span to sit and listen to a conversation. Well, maybe not sit and listen. Maybe go for a walk and listen on your headphones. That's how I consume all my Exactly. Yeah. Maybe you're in the car and you're dial flipping and you have commercials and I've heard all this before. Yeah. And I've listened to my, I, I know all my songs. Right. I know all 2,972 songs. Right, right. I know them all. You've heard them all. I've heard them all. You're not and finding even, new ones at this I'm point. I'm not. And even if I haven't listened to one in six weeks or eight weeks or three months, it's like, okay, I know this. Right. So so we're consuming things differently. And like I said, I got to run home and be at home at 1130 at night to watch Sportsline. No, I can pick it up on my device. So it's all, we, we get that. Now it's like, how do I get your eyes? How do I get your right. ears? Right. And how do I get you to come back? And how do I get you to tell your friends? Yeah. And how do I get sponsors or potential sponsors to to pay for this? How do I 
How do I get paid for it? Yes. So there's that's many levels. If you're trying to make a living at this, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of time spent, and this is what you know. One of the issues I'm 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 sure you deal with the same thing. One one of my least favorite things about it is you have to put out a certain amount of content that you're not 100 satisfied with, just because you know it has the draw it needs to bring people into have you being able to tell the stories that you do want to tell. I I have content that I love I love putting out there. I think it's a good product, mm. but in order to attract new listeners and new viewers and get that 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 attention span from those people, every so often you have to put something out there that is just kind of fluff a little bit to get the attention and hope that they stay for more. You have to hope that your regular listeners though aren't looked down upon or ignored. Yes. You see that's the balance. Yes. The more you look if I listen to you every week and the more I hear you say oh, we're trying to attract new listeners, what about me? Right. What about me? I'm enjoying this, but I'm not enjoying you, you know, maybe uh, altering your plan to attract a new uh, listener. I've already been here. Without looking after me, giving me the stuff that I want. Like when I switched formats in January, because my show was, there was no guests. It was me and Toronto Mike, and we're going on for like an hour, whatever it is, on all kinds of issues and topics. It's like sportscast with commentary for an hour or so. Right. Right. And then, you know, that's, there are some people and there are the, and Mike does, you know, Mike does long form with a guest. And I was like, you know, we could put a guest on for half an hour sure. and do a one hour show. Yeah. You know, right. And then maybe the guest wants to talk about some of the issues we're talking about, get them involved. And, and so it's, 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 it's a slow process. And people have said to me, Mark, I like the old, uh, like the old format better. Please go back to the Changes, old format. Changed. You're going to get that. Please go back to the old yeah. coach. He was better. Go back to the old arena. It was better. Go back to the old flavor. It was better. Right. You're going to get that. That's yeah. natural pushback. But, you know, now that we've kind of got, I got Garth Orge coming on this week. Garth Orge. I want to talk, everyone wants to suddenly talk about the 85 J's. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Like, my kid is like, Dad, I wasn't around then, but that was, you know, the uniforms they wore. Right. He didn't want to talk about the team. He thought those powder blue uniforms right. were awesome, right. man. Right. And, and they that were. throwback cap yeah. and whatever. And so, the, and look at the stadium they played in with right. artificial turf. And so there's all these reasons. So everyone is, you know, interested in it. I'm like, you know, I've got to start doing something on that 85 Jays team. I covered the team. I knew all the players. They know me. It's a good time now to go and let's really reminisce a long form thing. Yeah. The 85 Jays. Great. And then after that, we're going to do other teams, right? That were, maybe they didn't win championships or whatever, but they they stole our heart or we remember them. I think you you have to hope, and this is something that, you know, if, if you did have any resentment for the way in which the industry has changed, one thing that that will never go away is the, the affinity that people have towards you that you've built up over the last 40 years. Even if you do change format, people came for a reason. They're there for you, not necessarily the format. And it may seem... Like a bit, of, it's a bit abrupt at first, but yeah. people are going to stay for you, and that's what true, you have to have faith I want to be in. true to myself, and I, if I if I have to remember how was I back then, then it's a, I mean it's a problem. If right. I'm just being myself, yeah. I just just go back to the way you were. Well, it is kind of the way I am. It's just we're sort of including someone else. Yeah, and, and I and and again, the other thing is, I, it's exciting to me. Um, just prior to a guest coming on, because it's like, well, how is this going to go? Yeah. Like, and now, especially, where are they? Are they physically with me in the studio, like sure. I am with you, or are they there at home? Right. And let me tell you, if you're at home and you got your coffee there and your dog's by your side and you're relaxed, and you might tend to say, you things. might share a little bit you more. You might tend to say things you would never say yeah. in, in the stiffness of a studio sure. or that kind of a thing. 100%. Right? It's you and your laptop. And no, yeah, there's a camera in there, but it's just, you know, you and Hebs, you're having a chat. And sometimes you just get the best stuff. I agree. And it's not about sports necessarily. It's just, I don't know. This is what happened to me today. 
pool cleaner came. <laughs> we found a rat. I don't know. Reminds me of the time that Bob Baylor in 77 dropped the fly ball because it hit a seagull. And right. You just don't know where it's going to go. Sure. You don't know where it's going to go. It just provides new context for it. I love that. Now, as we shift to a couple of new questions, I have one question to kind of lead us into it. You talk about change and how change disrupt things and not everyone likes it. You're a big fan of Wordle. I see you tweeting about it all the time. <laughs> Is it better or worse since the New York Times bought it? Oh, I haven't really noticed it. You difference. haven't noticed? A I lot of people are difference. saying it's a lot harder. It, well, I guess I, I guess so. Um, I, I, you know, I, I love it. I love playing Scrabble. I, my girlfriend is crazy about Wordle. She's nuts. Yeah. Because there's words that she's never heard of before. Right? Right. Um, I, I, I guess I'm more, I, I'm more well-read because sure. there are words that I know and I know the meaning of. But there's certain words, and I've, but I haven't said to her, really, you don't know what that word means because it's a word that I'm like, okay, I got to use that in a sentence. I know the word, but yeah, 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 now yeah, I got to yeah. kind of conjure up, well, how do I use it in a sentence and explain it? So I've right. seen it and I've seen it spelled. Yeah, it's um, it's just, it's a, it's a I, I asked the question because it just seems, again, one of those things you talk about the unpredictability of people's attention spans and Wordle has taken the world yeah. the world by storm, which is always, yeah. it's oh, always She'll fun. get up in the middle of the night and she'll do Wordle. Because after midnight, you know, as soon it's, as it's, it's midnight, available now. Like, yeah, ah, it's nuts, man. She's wasting, no, you got to do it with your morning coffee. Are you kidding me? Oh, is that's that right? the only time. To, well, for me personally, oh, no, that's yeah, what okay, I do. And yeah. that's just it. And the other thing was like Scrabble. And she had never played Scrabble before. It just wasn't part of her family. Her family would play Monopoly or right. whatever board games or cards, right? Sure. But not Scrabble. Right. It just wasn't. And her parents were, uh, <coughs> her parents were immigrants. So a lot of immigrants, you know, you can, I couldn't see a lot of immigrants. It doesn't matter where they came from saying, ah, let's get into some English yes. word games. <laughs> that was the yeah. subtleties of two, two, and two, and, <laughs> right? And stuff like that. So um, she w- had never played Scrabble. She knew what it was. Right. So I, I explained the game to her and like hooked. Yes. Hooked. Like we got Hard tra- not to be. Honestly. Hard not to be. But also she went and bought a travel edition of it because we're going away. Oh, amazing. Like you can play it on the plane. Amazing. Like, you know what I mean? On the, <laughs> on the same trade table down, getting a little travel That's, scrabble there. I like the fact that I'm limited to once a day. Otherwise, I would spend yeah. all day doing it. Uh, and you've spent many days, I think, with with my dad, who's not in the studio as well. But you guys go, go way back. Way back. With him not in the studio, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Tell me something I don't know about my dad. He's been in the industry for a long time. He's yeah. been he's been a bar owner. He's always been involved in sports in some capacity, whether it's owning Gardunis, the bar across. Yeah, the, yeah. From, from, See, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I I'll be honest with you. I can't. He's your dad, right? <laughs> he's your dad, and, and, and he, he wasn't me, he listen, wasn't your dad when these things happened. I only have one corroborating. He, he wasn't your dad when these things happened, and so yeah. I can't do that. It would oh, okay. be like my okay. dad saying, you know, listen, my son wasn't born. I was a single guy, but you know, um, but your dad wasn't a single guy at the time. Um, Anyway, it was a long time ago. <laughs> and your Uncle Alan, and, but, yes. here, but here, I'll, this is what I can tell okay. you. Okay. When they opened Gardunis, uh-huh. when they first opened Gardunis, there was a big party. There was a couple the, of them. The restaurant across the, the restaurant street. Right across the street from Garden. Maple Leaf Gardens. Yeah. And Doug Gilmore was the superstar yes. of the city. And also at the time, the Blue Jays were phenomenal. Yes. About to win their first World Series. Right. About to. So in Toronto at that time, it was so huge. The fan had just started broadcasting 24 hours as an all-sports station right. a couple of years earlier. Uh, you know, the Leafs were just coming on, right? They had gotten Gilmore and made those two straight runs. And, and it, was a, it was a heady time. And what happened was you couldn't get into Gardunis. Uh-huh. This place. Now, the food was not great, right? It just wasn't. It was sort of an afterthought. It was I don't pl- think it was the point. No, yeah, it was yeah. an afterthought. Great but, French fries. That's yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, but it was an afterthought. But the idea was that you could right across the street in Toronto. Yes, 
after the game, whether you went to the game or not, right? You could go there and you'd see people, man. Yeah, that back room. Look at that, Gilmore's back there. One hundred percent, kind of a thing. And so the players frequented it, and, and and it was a fabulous idea at the time. But I remember there was one time, and I don't know if your father will remember this. But your father and your <laughs> uncle, I think, were there. But a couple of big uh, guys, big guys, wanted to like get see Gilmore or Andrew Chuck or whatever and they're in the back there. And these were big guys. These are well-known guys in the city. I'm not going to mention their names. Okay. There's brother, they're brothers. Yeah. There's three of them. All three were there that night with their friends. They're mm-hmm. loud. They're garden season ticket holders. They're yeah. wealthy guys. They're powerful and influential guys and they love the Leafs. Right. And here's your dad and your uncle Alan. Okay. <laughs> who between them maybe weighed 195 pounds. <laughs> okay. Trying to hold these guys back. And I'm, we're watching this kind of go on. So how's this going to end? Uh-huh. Cause he, they had to sort of kick them out of the place. Right. And, and I forget who was doing security, but there were a couple of beefy security. Guys. Sure. But these guys, these three brothers and their friends were, you know, there and your dad is, and I'm watching them going, how's this going to end? You know, what's he going to do? Like your dad's going to like <laughs> grab him by the throat or whatever. And the guy is kind of pointing at your dad going, you, you know, who I am, you, you know, you know, he's like pointing, not threatening him. But he's kind of like, you know, you, I've been a fan. You let me, like, come on, man, let me in. <laughs> It was, oh, it was pretty funny. It was oh, wow. Pretty, pretty funny stuff. And, 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 I, and um, th- this is what sort of, you know, you want to go in the bar business and that's not your area of expertise right. and you've got partners yes. and, and, and certain things happen and, oh geez, we didn't know we had to pay this much for security. Right. Like right. Doug is not going to bring his own security. No, of course. No. And everyone knows what he looks like. And yeah. he's right across the street from the gardens. The yeah. game just. They literally there. just watched him play in there. Yeah, yeah. you just, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. You want to get autographs, pictures and stuff like that. And this was before cell phone cameras and stuff like that. Imagine if, you know, Doug, click, 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 click. That much more significant to it see someone crazy. in person. And I think what happened at that time was, and, and your dad will probably admit it even more so after doing this book tour with Eddie, the late Eddie Shack. Eddie Shack, yeah. Then, man, that's a lot of work, you know. You, you have a certain area of expertise that you're good at and you've grown this company you know, exponentially uh, into certainly more than framing, custom framing. Right. Um, but but along the way, man, there's a lot of work involved. Mm-hmm. But this type of work here, running a bar or running a restaurant and having, that's out of, that's kind of out of my league. So you have these delusions of grandeur and then you kind of go, <laughs> how do we get out of this without losing too much money? Right. And saving face because you've got a company and a brand to yeah. worry about. Always. Hey, those are guys from Frameworth over there. Right. If, if they frame pictures the way they run a restaurant, we're all in trouble. All you need is one person saying that. <laughs> right. So, so the excitement of being involved with people like a Doug Gilmore and, sure. and you know, being able to merchandise for these people and, and New York company's growing. And now you know, that's, that's Brian Aramworth and that's, that's the company that they do this, they do that. And they're Gretzky and all those types of things. So you got to protect that brand and you got to protect your family too. As the opportunities uh, come up and grow, so too does your liability. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the stakes are bigger. So it's possible that things are going to get messed and up. People if- are looking to knock you off. Don't you kid yourself. There's companies out there more than happy to say, Oh, Frameworth, you know, and, and, that's part of doing business. I got a buddy of mine that owns a restaurant down in Little Italy and uh, the bylaw officers come every day. And why? Because the guy who owns the restaurant across the street is sending the bylaw officers over every day. Interesting. Every I can't do that. Can't do that. That's competition. Yeah. Right across the street. Same kind of restaurant. And so my guy knows. My buddy says, I know who it is. Yeah. I know who it is. But there's nothing you can do about it. You can do about it. And that's, that's the cost of doing business. It seems when like you become it. successful. They start paying attention. People, to you. people come when after. When you're not successful, yeah. they don't care. Yeah. As soon as you're taking business away from them, oh yeah, 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, thankfully, we've kept a, a fair amount of business over the years, including uh, uh, some framing that you did. We actually got back in touch because you would come to reframe a piece that was pretty significant to you, a 1987 Canada Cup piece uh, that we redid. You'd, you'd had it so long that uh, that we had to reframe it to you. And the story behind you getting that piece, you can see it there on YouTube. It's in the bubble wrap. So before we get into kind of your overall experience with memorabilia and, and whether or not you're a collector, what's the story behind this piece? Here's This piece here is from the 1987 Canada Cup. This was the great, in my opinion, the greatest team ever assembled, mm-hmm. hockey team ever, any nation. Yeah. This was, I mean, this was a such a powerhouse team. Steve Eiserman couldn't make this team. Right. Imagine uh, a team that Steve Eiserman couldn't make. You know make. what I mean? This was a phenomenal team. So what had happened was Rob McDougall, the late Rob McDougall, a fantastic artist, and the, the one who did a lot of the stuff for the Toronto Sun, the caricatures, uh, the sports caricatures, especially that the Toronto Sun had. Right. Wonderful guy. Very, so Rob, very well known. As you mentioned late, I believe he passed away last year. Yeah. So well, this is very exciting to me because I've had this for a number of years, and it has about 30, I think 34 or 35 signatures on it. So what happened was when Rob was commissioned, he didn't know any of the players. Oh. He didn't know Gretzky or Messier or any of these guys. So this was before he got sort of into that realm of, of sports, like drawing for, for sports. That's correct. There you Look go. Now, now we're looking at job. that. If you're, uh, if you're that. not watching over on YouTube, you should definitely go check it out because you can see that whole thing framed up. That's, that's fantastic. So he writes here, two Hebsy, best wishes, Rob McDougall, and it's signed by all the coaches and every player except for Glenn Anderson. Wow. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm off mic here. So this is gorgeous. Anyway, so Rob says to me, he says, Hebsy, I don't know these guys. You know these guys. And he shows me the poster, right? No signatures on it. And right. he says, you know, listen, if you can introduce me to these guys, I'll get a poster all, all signed for you. I'm like, yeah, sure. Nope, that'd be great. And I sort of, and I introduced him, like, hey, you know, Gretz, Mario, this right. is Rob McDougall. Right. There was a bunch of them sitting, I think. At, so at this point, I think there were a bunch of them watching the Sweden practice. This was in right. Montreal during training camp. So it was during training camp. So what happened was Rob had to do, and so everyone on this was, these were all the players who were invited to training camp. Okay. Right? Now, they all didn't make the team. Right. But Rob got them, most of them all to sign. Right. So while the, the, the first part of the camp was going on. There were 35 guys or whatever sure. it was to the original camp. So he got all of them to sign except for Glenn Anderson. Uh, and then, you know, uh, this guy got cut, that guy got cut, you know, you couldn't keep all of them. Um, anyway, introduced him to all these guys, thought, forgot about it about three months later. Or so he calls me, he says, Hebsy, I got something for you. And he, I think he came to global. He was doing some stuff, but anyway, he gives in his, his, his post. Oh, wow. Gorgeous. Wow. Just mm, like, mm. and I remember I called your dad. I said, I got, I, you got to frame this for me. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when he saw it, he's like, wow, this is, you know, who else has this? It seems like it's just kind of one of a kind, eh? Like if it was just done I for think, you. I think Gretzky has one. And I know Labatt's had one because he commissioned it for Labatt for the okay. Canada Cup. So somewhere in a boardroom somewhere or yeah. somebody, or somebody scooped it. Someone grabbed it. it. Somebody grabbed it. Yeah. Is this beauty that's got, like I say, um, Gretzky, Messier, uh, Wendell Clark made that team. He didn't make the team, actually. He was invited to training camp. He didn't. Um, Mario, Brent Sutter, Grant Fuhrer, Paul Reinhardt, Mike Gartner, Ray Bork, Patrick Waugh, Doug Crossman, Paul Coffey, Dale Howardchuk, Michelle Goulet, uh, just Doug Gilmore, Larry Murphy. Oh, my God. 
a that, few a few recognizable names on there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the, fabulous. Were, were you always into collecting? Was that even as a kid? I know you mentioned uh, the statistics that you, that you were into. Was collecting always something that uh, that you were a fan of as well? Yeah, it yeah. was. Um, I was fortunate, you know, when I was young, my cousin was a player agent for the Montreal Expos and the Montreal Canadiens. His name's Cookie Lazarus. He's mm-hmm. still alive, still still practicing law, and and so in, in, in when I was a kid, his clients were Ken Singleton of the Montreal Expos, okay. Tim Foley of the Montreal Expos, Peter Mahovlich of the Montreal oh, wow. Canadiens. These were his, so what happened was I would get these signed photos yeah. of these players right. when I was like, you know, a kid right. up on my wall. Wow, would you get those? Now, would you would you base your affinity towards liking a player on whether or not you, because we, we talked to Ken Reed, for example, would, would have favorite players based on the hockey cards he would collect. Would that sort of inform who you cheered for in the game or, or were those two separate things? No. No, I never thought of it that way. No, you didn't. Do. No, no. Hockey cards were strictly um, legal tender to me. Sure, sure. There was Just no emotional involvement things on the playground. No emotional involvement yeah. at all. I'll give you seven skip crakes for the Bobby <laughs> Orr. I remember trading seven skip crakes for the Bobby Orr rookie wow. card. Yeah, which I still have. You still have the Bobby oh, yeah, Orr rookie yeah, card. Yeah, yeah, I got. Yeah, I got. And stuff. do you ever do you ever rub that in the person's face who gave it to you or? <laughs> I have no idea. I think I was in grade six. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I don't know. I hope that person I don't remember. forgot that story. See, it, was, it was. I remember. I had so many skip crakes, right? And I think he. I think he was collecting because he wanted to have more cards. Right. He didn't have to go to the store and buy a pack to get more cards. He just wanted more. So seven for one to him was the deal. Oh wow! Seven for one. So he's looking at the weight he, of how right. much he owns as opposed to right. what's on the cards. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. looking at he's looking at quantity. Yeah. And I'm looking at quality. Oh wow. So I have that. I have that one there. I have a I have a Sandy Koufax signed oh, wow. piece, which is beautiful. I have a Lou Gehrig signed piece, which is spectacular. Do you have a favorite? Is that uh, 87 one your favorite? Or do you have a, no, another favorite piece? No, this would be my favorite piece. And the second favorite would be the 66-67 Leafs, the last team to win the cup. Oh, yeah. Signed by every Everybody, oh, wow. with the exception of uh, Terry Sawchuk, who died in 1971 or something like okay. that. Um, Tim Horton, who died in 74. Uh, and that's it. Wow. So it's signed by everybody except wow. for Horton and Sawchuk. Um, so I have that as well. It's that's really That's a beautiful piece. Do you have, well. do you have room for all this or, or how, do you collect so much that sometimes you got to put some in the closet? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, um, a very big Chicago Blackhawks fan, like yeah. one of the biggest Chicago Blackhawks fan. And, and I, I can't mention his name here, but he's also the leader of a, a pretty superstar band. Or okay. Was, um, was a massive Chicago Blackhawks fan. And I had a piece that, um, that, that I got acquired, signed by all the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh-huh. that were on the 92-93 Blackhawk team that went to the final against Pittsburgh. 92-93? Uh, Is that right? No, 91-92. Okay. Sorry. I uh, went to the final against Pittsburgh. And so... Um, I have that, and uh, he has it now. I kind of donated it to him because I didn't have room for it. Right. I didn't have room in my apartment for it. Right. So I said, look, it's got to go to someone who, he's living, and he's the biggest Blackhawks fan. I will cherish it. I'll look after it if you ever want it back. I don't know if I ever want it back. I want room. And so I know it's in a good home. So I'm okay with that. Will you, uh, uh, you may have to answer this off pod, but did this person write a review for your book? Write something on your book? No, no, okay, no, no, so no, I'm no. Thinking of someone else? No, okay. no, no, okay. no, 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 okay. no, no, <laughs> no, no. This person is uh, is like a neighbor of mine in Toronto, and just like a massive, massive Chicago Blackhawks fan. Oh, that's and, amazing. Uh, has that, and I like, and I, you know, whenever the Blackhawks, I'm sure that he looks at it and goes, you know, Hebsy loan me that, <laughs> and it's a beautiful piece. It's the red Blackhawk. It's gorgeous. Is there a part of him that that uh, yeah. hopes that you forgot about it and is going to listen to this and realize at some point he might have to give it back? No, he won't have to give it back. Will, oh, no, okay, I would. No, I wouldn't ask for it back. It was, uh, it was a gift. Oh, okay. I gifted him. That's I suspect fantastic. that when the next time a concert or whatever that he might, you know. 
gift you, know, you a ticket. Throw or two. a couple, yeah, you know that kind of thing. But that it, makes sense. But uh, there's no expectation, right? Right. None whatsoever. It's given with love. Well, look, we're coming close to the end of our time, uh, but I don't want to uh, to stop without bringing at least bringing up uh, your book, The Greatest Athlete in brackets you've never heard of uh, right. about George Orton, the first ever uh, Olympic Canadian Olympic gold medalist, and just a a, a fascinating story, his involvement in sports. Uh, uh, in ways that we never would have known that it could have been touched, including the numbering of jerseys in football, I believe he yeah. had had that. That process of writing a book, you know, a lot of people uh, uh, consider writing a book about themselves, not you. You wanted to write it about someone else. What, what went into this? Someone wants me to write a book about myself, and I just, man, I don't know if I could sit down and do that kind of, it would have, someone would have to ask me questions and then like, you know, as told to something. I would find that well, to look, be I've been asking incredibly you questions. egotistic, been but I mean, it's incredibly ego, like it's sort of like, all right, write a book about yourself. Like, hey, you know, really? Do I, is my life that interesting I that I'm going to so. pick out nuggets of my life? Or? When you have a life that people follow you from station to station and, and then on to new podcasts and this and that, yeah, I would assume so. I yeah. mean, there's got to be enough there. I guess. I guess so, I, but I, I, you would have to convince me of that to, to be worthwhile telling the well, story. Well, we will, we will. We've yeah, got a publishing so. house of Frameworth, so we may, we may need to get involved in that. Uh, tell us, tell us a little <laughs> bit about uh, the book, The Greatest Athlete, and where sure. people can find it. Sure. What, here's here's what happened was I lost my job at uh, the TV station in Hamilton back in uh, late 2015, and 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 um, rather than go through the whole, oh, I gotta get back in television. I knew the writing was on the wall. I was of the age where people were dropping like flies. You sure. had guests on this show before. We're in the same situation. Sure. You're prepared. Prepared, but you're not prepared. And when yeah. it happens, you kind of go, am I going to be bitter about this and flounder around? Or am I going to, okay, take a step back. Now, what do I want to do with my life? Right. And so I'd always had this little idea that I'd like to write something, but I never had the time, of course. Now I had the time. And um, my youngest son, Dean, had asked me one time, he was a teenager and he had re been reading this book about Canadian trivia. Uh -huh. And he said, dad, who the, you know, who was the first Canadian uh, to win an Olympic gold medal? Right. And I, and I, I just remember going, oh, it was so-and-so. Uh, and he goes, no, no, he goes, it was George Orton. And I said, who? And he said, George Orton, you've never heard of George Orton before? You, Mr. Everything About yeah, Sports. Yeah, love the trivia. And it's exactly the way he said it. He was like, how could you know? Like, he was flabbergasted. He was, right. he was how could you not know? And just that reaction was like, how could I not know? Right. And how, especially at my age and all the sports that I know, and I'm a sports historian, sure. Canadian. I sure. mean, how did this slip me? And so, like, I hate to say it, but Google George Orton and not, not much at all. Wow. Very little at all. And now I'm interested. How do I not know about this guy? Where did this, where did it happen? It was the 2,500 meter steeplechase. He won a gold medal. Wow. Steeplechase. And, and he's from where? Strathroy, Ontario. And he went to where U of T and he had a, he only had one arm. Right. He was, well, he had two arms, but his right arm was dead. And he introduced, he invented hockey in Philadelphia. What? Uh -huh. and he built the rinks there and started leagues there. And, and wow. So, like and this is this was some heavy research. This isn't you're going to find it in a book. No, this was, how did how did you go about? Like okay, so you, I go to the Toronto Public Library. Okay, okay yeah. and you can look at microfilm there, microfiche right. there. Right. So every newspaper, um, every edition of the Toronto Star, the Toronto Daily Star, or the Globe and Mail, and in those days it was the Mail and Empire. Mm -hmm. It was just there was like seven different newspapers, right. the Telegram, and there were articles and U of T's archives. And so I went and did the deep dive that only a researcher can do. I'm in the U of T archives. I'm looking at old, old There's your journalism old, background. Coming. That's right. Hey, old editions of, uh, of the varsity, which is the new, the newsletter of the U of T yeah. from 1891. Right. And I'm finding this on micro. <laughs> this wow. is great. And they're writing about George Orton and what a tremendous athlete he was and how he's drawing 5,000 people to the Rosedale grounds to watch the great U of T runner, George Orton. 
and they're and and they're it's a ten cents admission, and I'm going. No kidding, eh? Wow. So the U of T back in 1891 is making dough off of George Orton. He's an amateur. <laughs> oh. He got to pay his own car fare. Sounds to, sounds a lot like to, the NCAA pre yeah, a couple yeah, of years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. And so, so, so now he's an athlete and he's a tremendous athlete, but there's no Olympic team. There's no, uh, Canada's not interested. They just, Confederation was only a few sure, years earlier. Sure. They're not interested in putting sports teams together. They got other stuff to worry about, a railroad to build, a country to, right. you know what I mean? Right. And so he's got, so he's like the greatest athlete in, at U of T. He's on the first hockey team at the U of T. He, he they flood uh, in, in the residential area. They flood uh, uh, in between the buildings. There's no artificial ice. There's one <laughs> artificial ice rink in all of Toronto. No, there's none. Sorry, there's zero. They're all outdoor rinks. So you got to make your own rink. Oh my right? God! This is eighteen ninety. So he starts the first team at U of T. It's like a like a like um um you know the 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 fraternity teams or something like that. Right. Not even official. Like team. an intramural kind of. Yeah. 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 Exactly. There's no organized hockey, and he's like, okay, and he's a great hockey player. He's a one-armed hockey player, and he's a great athlete, and you know, and and they build a track. They build the track at U of T. They had no track, right? So they build the right at the corner of Dover Court and Bloor is the original Central Y, the original one. Oh, okay, right where they have an indoor running track, right? That was named after um, Tom Longboat, the great runner. Sure. Well, that was. George Orton was, they originally built it for Orton. There was no place for him to train. Wow. So finding all this stuff out. It was, how did he not, like, how did he get out of here? Goes to the University of Pennsylvania, becomes a superstar athlete, never comes back to Canada a couple of times, but none of the newspaper men here cared about him. Once he had left Canada, he wasn't he's Canadian gone. He's anymore. A traitor. Wow. Traitor. And so I'm, now I find his only living relative, his granddaughter. All right. He had three daughters, only one of them bore children. And this is the, and one child. So this is her. And I go out to California and she tells me stories. She's got memorabilia. She's got medals. That's it's phenomenal. Fan. She must have been ecstatic that someone was coming to tell she her. She was ecstatic. Story. And at the same time, like, wow, I didn't know anyone like, you know, and I'm like, he's Canadian. She's yeah. like, I know I heard like that yeah. kind of a thing. So it was fascinating and it was a lot of work. And the funny thing was, is originally it was a documentary. I'm not a writer, right. but I know how to do documentaries. Oh, so you weren't intending to write a book. It was no, going to be. No, it was a documentary. Oh, okay. And so we cut the documentary and it was, uh, you know, it was a low budget and, we never quite finished it, and but someone who saw a raw cut of it thought it looked great and said, "You should, you should write a book." Yeah, it's a great story, and I don't want what I know from writing a book. It introduced me um, to some people uh, and uh, at Dundurn Press, um, um, and they they liked the story and. So we wrote the book. Well, you listening, if you're out there from Ryerson admissions from back in the, in the seventies, in the you, you turned down the wrong guy. Are you kidding me? Right? Like they, they say not enough marks and now you're here writing yeah. a book. Come on. Oh, that's Come okay. On. Listen, you know what? They were right though. I, I didn't uh, measure up. I didn't have the grades in high school. Right. Which in those days, it was extremely important for you to advance your career. Sure. You needed to have marks. You couldn't just say, ah, oh, I'll try it on my own. But in actual fact, that probably was the right way to go because yeah. I only spent a year uh, in school and then I had the opportunity to make money in the business that I wanted to rather than learn out of a textbook from an instructor who was no longer in the business. Right. Sort of the way I looked at it. Like, do I want to learn from someone who used to be in the business and here opening up a textbook yeah. from CBC? Yeah. Or do I want to actually get my feet wet, practical and, training. and that's a whole realm that we didn't even get into, but, you know, over to uh, to uh, uh, producing Bob McCowan's show and then eventually taking up his time slot. I mean, if, if we had more time, we'd get into it. We may have to have you back for for another another go of things. But, uh, uh, Mark, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Uh, 
Mark Hebsher, Hebsey on Sports. You can find it. Anything else you want to plug, apart from the book, which is available on Amazon. Uh, once again, that is called uh, The Greatest Athlete You've Never Heard Of. Uh, anything else you want to send people towards? Check I, got, I got a new website and like, you know, there's t-shirts and we're getting into merch because my kid is selling merch. I'm thinking, well, maybe I could sell some yeah. merch too. So I have an expression that I used for years called top shelf where they keep the peanut butter. Whenever yes. there was a guy who scored up, you know, top shelf, I just top shelf where they keep the peanut butter. I stole that from an NHL goalie. I'm not going to say who it was. <laughs> I never asked for permission. It's sort of been my trademark. We're going to put it on a t-shirt, have some fun with it. And so my, my website is hebsy.online. Hebsy.online. That's it. And, and you know what? There's pictures of me from the time I was born um, with my parents, uh, you know, who were both huge sports fans. And there's sort of a pictorial of here's my life in broadcasting and it's like kind of, you know, like a, this is your life kind of thing. So Hebsy.online and, and there you go. That's it. And I'm on every Friday on the Hebsy on Sports podcast. And, and I really appreciate you having me on here. This is great. And you guys did an awesome, this is beautiful. Hey, that's- Wow, uh, the original frame was nice. This is really thanks nice. Thanks for uh, giving us the opportunity to reframe it. And uh, highly suggest, yeah, go check out the website. I saw that whole pictorial, uh, very comedic take on your rise to prominence in broadcasting <laughs> and a great snapshot of, of your whole story. Uh, glad we could provide some more context here as well. One day I will get some more stories out of my dad, uh, about my dad out of you. But until then, uh, we may have to wait another week. To bring the one in on. Windsor. The one in Windsor. There's one in Windsor, yeah. It was Detroit and Windsor. Yeah. It was, was this, during a playoff series. Was this series. after the Borshevsky goal? This was after the Borshevsky okay. goal. He told me to ask you about that, but oh. I, I, I figured I, I'd wait until oh, no, I'd yeah. wait until he were there uh, yeah. uh to tell that story. Is that uh Yeah, I don't think I'll be done. I don't know. <laughs> he said he said he doesn't yeah. know if he'll tell yeah. it. Uh maybe a cliffhanger for another one. We may talk around that story a little bit. Uh uh, but until then, oh. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. I had an absolute blast, a, a ton to get into and uh uh, so obviously Hebsey on sports, Dean Hebsher as well. Your son, check him out. Uh, he's, he's, he's touring Dean, the yeah, United Dean States. Cor, yeah, man. He's, uh, yeah, the clean hamster podcast. Uh, he, he gets a lot of his material from me. Of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> he, he always saying top shelf where they keep the peanut butter. Uh, so thanks once again, Mark, for joining us. My name is Mikey Aaron. We're host of the sign off podcast, and this is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching The Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, at Retrograde Mikey. Or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!